Wonderful. Our reading this evening is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 26. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he has already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I've got a very exciting story that I could start with. It's about me opening two bank statements at the same time. Um, but instead, here's the first half of a poem, just to keep it, keep it classy on a Sunday evening in Oxford. This is the poem Music by Anne Porter. When I was a child, I once sat sobbing on the floor beside my mother's piano as she played and sang. For there was in her singing a shy yet solemn glory my smallness could not hold. And when I was asked why I was crying, I had no words for it. I only shook my head and went on crying. Why is it that music at its most beautiful opens a wound in us, an ache, a desolation deep as homesickness for some far off and half forgotten country? I commend the second half of that poem to you, but you have to look that up when you get home because we're going to crack on with my exciting story about opening two envelopes. Exactly 14 years ago, I was opening these two boring-looking brown envelopes, and they were bank statements, as I said. And what I saw when I opened the first is that our current account that month had only temporarily blipped into the positive numbers before, um, on a kind of meager payday before the bills at the beginning of the month came out and plunged it back down into the overdraft. And so I opened the second um, envelope, which was for our savings account. And it was much as I expected in that, that our savings account no longer had any ability to bail out our, our current accounts. We'd been living at a steady loss um, over the year. Laura was studying. I wasn't earning very much. Uh, it wasn't enough to pay the rent and the bills and everything. It was just sort of calculated. There was a measure of anxiety, a measure of uncertainty as to the future, as to how long this could carry on, but that was where we were. Second scene for you to picture, and this one comes, it's, it's no less comfortable, but it comes as a bit of an antidote to the heat. Picture the scene of my friends in the middle of winter, driving in the dark through a blizzard, and they've got to a point where they just have to stop. And it's the A9 in Scotland, they're driving north, 
and the, the snow is falling. There's warning signs talking about the danger of carrying on. They've got a young child in the back. They've got hours of their journey up ahead of them, but they've got to a point where they just stop. There's a flashing orange light in the distance up ahead. Don't forget the flashing orange light. Neither of these scenes is a particularly perfect picture of peace and harmony. Both have a measure of discomfort, me with the envelopes, my friends in their car, in the snow. Yet, both of them were actually occasions of real joy. I've left out a couple of crucial details. And when I tell you them, you'll be like, ah, I see what's going on here. Tonight, as we continue our series, we're, thinking, uh, we're still thinking about the Holy Spirit, the very presence and action of God in this world. Our title tonight is The Spirit Renews. And we're thinking about what it means in the midst of this messed up world to talk about and understand that God's spirit is renewing things. Sometimes we sing that God is making all things new, picking up that verse from Colossians. But why doesn't it look more like that? Why is the world still spinning out fresh pain and trauma and suffering day after day, week after week, generation after generation? Why are things still so messed up? We can't deny the, the heartache, the trauma, uh, the pain of things. And if we're honest, we can't deny the, the messed up, the frustration, the failure that's going on in here. Why are we who have said, yes, we are welcoming, we, we frequently pray for more of this renewing spirit of God? Why do we still struggle and fail so often? Is all of this this God stuff, this talk about, this, these songs we sing about God renewing all things and God renewing our lives, is it just a bit of positive psychology? Does it come down to a kind of whistling in the dark to make us feel a bit better? Well, let's have a look in here. Romans 8, 18, verse 18 onwards. He starts off, Paul, who's writing this letter, this ancient letter, Amazing, amazing passage, I think. He starts off, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Just like when I give you a few more details shortly on those stories, and it gives you a wider frame of reference. In a similar way, Paul seems to be writing with this wider frame of reference in view. He's not denying or minimizing or skipping over the present sufferings of this life that he knows all too well by this point in his, his difficult life. But these seem to be set within this, this wider vision that he has of faith in the presence and the action of God who is present and acting to, to renew all things, to bring about a bigger healing that's, that's sort of more uh, wonderful uh, than, than he can get his head around. The Bible is very honest. I don't know if you've read much of it, but it's very honest about the broken mess of things. Just have a look in the Psalms. Just have a look at the complaints, the sort of words of human complaint that are permissioned for us in here. The Bible's honest that all is not well. It doesn't delude or distract, nor attempt to tidy things away with some neat little answers. In the passage that, that we read in verse 22, it gives expression to the ache. It says how all creation is groaning. There's this longing for wholeness. The 
There's a profound sense of things unfulfilled. Things are not what they should be. And that's just the point. That's just it. If you read the first pages of your Bible and the last pages of your Bible, you will see that the, the, the profound messed up nature of things is not where we came from and it's not where we're going. The beginning of the biblical story insists that this whole world is born out of goodness, not an original cosmic violence, not evil, not a competition, not some random meaningless oblivion, but all things born out of the goodness and the love and the intention of the good creator God. It's created out of love for the sake of love. That's the beginning of things. And then you go to the end of the biblical story. And I say story not in the sort of make-believe way, but in the kind of account of reality that provides an explanation, a bit of meaning to the ups and the downs and the pains and the beauties of this life. And it's an amazing account of reality. So at the end of this account of reality, there is this expectation of a fullness of healing, more than we can imagine, a magnificent restoration and renewal. Why? Because right throughout the intervening pages, this is a collection of testimonies of people who become convinced, convinced that the God of it all is not fed up, washing his hands, abandoning, walking away from this mess of a world but is committed to it, is attending, is involved, is here working his renewal. So this, when we're thinking about the spirit renewing, we're talking about much more. It's a much bigger project than just the, the spirit comes to renew um, particular human lives. However, humanity has a very significant part within this story, both in the kind of plunge into the mess, but also into the healing of things. That is why it says in verse 19 that the, the wider creation is waiting, waiting in eager expectation for what? For the children of God to be revealed. What's that about? And in verse 21, again, it talks about the, the wider creation being liberated from its bondage to, to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What does that mean? To answer these questions, we're going to do a little bit of a, a deep Bible study. We need to zoom in on a few key moments. So come with me. The first of all, the first one, Genesis, these first chapters, it says that humanity, you, me, everyone, we're made, intended, purposed to bear the image of God. We're created in the image of God. We're to be like little ambassadors within the order of things. But then, it doesn't take two chapters before humanity abandons this vocation, its purpose, walking away in disobedience, which carries implications for the wider creation. So in Genesis 3:17, the Lord speaks to the man, and he says, cursed is the ground because of you. So this is what, in verse 21 of our reading that Paul Paul wrote to the Romans. This is what it's referring to when it says about creation being subject to frustration. There being this, this longing for the children of God to be revealed. For us to be back in role as faithful stewards and ambassadors and 
bearing the image of the rule and the reign and the goodness of God, leading things into a flourishing wholeness. Creation is longing for this humanity to be restored, to be put back, to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. We get some of this when we see the, the reckless pollution um, that's becoming oh so apparent. Uh, we get this when we just despair at the endless cycle of wars that we seem to be caught up in. So what is God going to do about it? It starts with a promise, an unlikely promise to an unlikely man, Abraham, that, that through this man is going to be this unlikely people. God is going to bless this people. And through this restored, recovered people to then bring his blessing into the wider world. This plan really gets going at the Exodus. This is the, you can read about it in the book of Exodus, or you can watch Prince of Egypt. And this is where these, this enslaved ethnic underclass and associated riffraff are, are in dramatic ways delivered, set free, liberated, and they're led out, Moses, let my people go, all of this wonderful stuff. So that's the, the exodus. And then, sometime later, they arrive at Mount Sinai. Now, at Mount Sinai, there's another dramatic thing that happens. There's this big appearance. It's like a theophany, this appearance of God with fire and cloud and a booming voice. And it's pretty scary. So the people say, Moses, you can go on our behalf up that, that mountain, which Moses does. And he comes back and with with the law, with the instructions, with this calling, with this vocation for the people to, to be, they were set free in order for them to be something different, to embody something of the goodness and the grace of God in this world. There was a vocation, a sense of vocation that was being restored. This is what humanity was always intended to, to be doing from the beginning. And here was a chance for, for the people to recover something of what they're supposed to be doing all along. You read their story of this people entering the land, and it's largely a story of fickleness and failure, and it becomes sort of increasingly apparent that there's a need for a game changer in this. There's a need for a, for a Messiah, which, of course, we will come back to. The people were good at remembering their history, it, remarkably. Um, so they had these festivals. There was a big festival called Passover, which commemorated the events of the Exodus. And then precisely seven weeks later, there was another festival called the Festival of Weeks, because it was always seven weeks after Passover. And this was to commemorate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. It was also a celebration of the first fruits of the harvest, incidentally, these two things coming together in the Festival of Weeks. Mental maths. Seven weeks contains how many days? 49, seven times seven. The festival of weeks would happen on the 50th day. Therein lies the, the, the reasoning why this festival of weeks became known within the Greek-speaking culture of Jesus' day as Pentecost. Pente, 50, like modern pentathlon, that sort of thing, Pentagon, five. Pent that's the, the Greek part of Pentecost, Festival of Weeks. It is no accident then, when we're reading the story of Jesus, it's no accidental coincidence that the events of Easter, his death and resurrection, this decisive act of deliverance from the slavery of sin and evil, that this lines up 
with the events of Passover. Jesus even took the special Passover bread and he said, this is my body. He took the special cup of kosher wine and he said, this is my blood. He's saying, this backstory is pointing to me. And in what's about to happen, there's a bigger deliverance, a bigger liberation, a wider rescue from a deeper slavery, the slavery of sin and death. So it's no accident that that lines up with Passover. Then it's no accident that it is on the day of Pentecost when the people would have been celebrating the the giving of the instruction, this, this invitation to a vocation to be different, to be the people of God. There's this presence, frightening presence, the fiery presence of God on the mountain. On the day of Pentecost, just as the prophets foretold, the presence of God was poured out on the people, on the believers in in an intimate way. The fiery presence of God wasn't contained up the mountain over there or in some temple safely curtained off. No, this was something like tongues of fire on people's head. And it's like the most staggering thing that the believers are the temple. We carry the very presence of God, the, the, the life force renewing presence of God who's here and he's leading us into freedom, leading us into a, a new sort of vocation, recovering something of an original design for humanity, and we get to be a part of it. It's the most staggering thing. The Spirit of God is leading us into freedom and is giving us a vocation, a calling, and he's empowering us in that. I want to say three quick things about this renewing spirit of God. The spirit of God renews our laughter, renews our tears, and renews us with his presence. 14 years ago, I was opening up my bank statement envelopes and realizing that we'd basically run out of money. What had preceded this, this opening of the envelopes um, just, just before this, I'd learnt that Laura had got a job. And we'd been sort of running at this loss and not sure quite what was going to happen next. And, and then we found out that Laura had got this job and she was going to earn significantly more than I was earning. And suddenly this changed everything. I opened these envelopes to see we'd run out of money and it was okay. <laughs> My sense of future uh, and and this, you know, this, the future was opening out ahead of me. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. Maybe when you, you get a job or you see some really good news and there's just this sense of the future is expansive and inviting and you're just like looking forward to, to it all of a sudden. There's a freedom in that. Treasure those moments because I think it, it really does tap into the emotional reality of what it means for the, the spirit to renew our lives and grant us a future, invite us into a vocation. When things like that happen, I think also of when I had a broken relationship and it um, suddenly was restored. And I was just suddenly, I, I, I felt powerless to do anything about this, but it was a really precious relationship to me and it was fractured. And then suddenly you get the text message. It's, it's, it's back on. We can, we can talk about this. And you just know, sometimes it's just eye contact. <laughs> and you receive this eye contact, and suddenly your heart melts. 
and you can just laugh out loud on the bus. It is this lifting, the, the, the renewing spirit of God acting in our lives can lift us as it gives us a future, gives us, restores meaning and purpose, restores good relationships, and there's this easy laughter. So spirit of God renews our laughter, but also renews our tears. Verse 23 says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. I said about how that, the, the Pentecost festival, the festival of weeks, they would be celebrating the first part of the wheat harvest. The Holy Spirit in us and with us, this fiery presence, very presence of God, is the first fruits of a much wider harvest. All of creation is destined to be shot through and completely full of the holy, fiery presence of God. Nothing will be dislocated. Nothing will be messed up. Nothing will not be in perfect harmony with God's perfect love. That is the renewal of all things. That is the hope into which we are saved and for which we patiently await. And so when the, the Spirit comes and renews something in us, it lifts us into that joy, into that expectation of the future. But at the same time, it gives us this, what can be a kind of devastating perspective on the present state of things. It will break your heart. When you, when you find yourself crying, this is a sign of spiritual renewal. These tears are sacred. That ache that you feel, there's, there's the laughter and then there's the longing, you know, there's the, the advance that we get on joy. And then there's the, the profound ache as we feel the grief. As it, and it gives us the resources, actually, to look at the reality of the world full in the face. We don't have to distract ourselves. There's a, there's a strength and a, and a possibility given to us to consider some of the horrors of this world and to not be overwhelmed and to be able to pray and to, to kind of enter into some of the sorrow. There's the joy and there's the sorrow, and it's all part of the Spirit's renewal in our lives. And finally, the Spirit renews us with his presence. So my friends, stuck on that road, in Scotland, cold, dark nights, the blizzard is setting in, the warning signs, talking about the, the warning of um, the danger of carrying on on this road. And what the sign said is that you had to wait for the snowplow to arrive. Because what they would do, what they do, apparently, I've never, you, you may be more experienced in driving through the north of Scotland um, in the winter, you have to wait when the snow is bad on the higher roads. There's these, there's, you have to wait at these points, and then the snowplow comes along and goes ahead of everyone and takes them through in the little train. And my friends were driving home for Christmas, and the little orange light in front of them they could see was the snowplow, because now they were about to move. And, and go through. Something about this journey absolutely captivated me when they were telling me about it. Shetland Islands, that's what they, that was their annual trip, was to, to go to the Shetland Islands. Can you imagine? And just the excitement and the joy of, of and, the, and the profound reassurance and the gift of strength that would have been as this snowplow arrives, having ferried people one way, and now it's about to deliver you through uh, towards home, towards the ferry, to take you across the sea, Towards the, I don't, you know, who, every family has got issues, especially at Christmas, 
I've never met this couple's family, so join me in the idealization of this scene. And there's a roaring fire, and they said that they used to pack up a crate full of all their favorite food and send it on ahead. And, and I like to imagine that they kept some mince pies in the, the car and just had that again as the first fruits of their Christmas um, joy. What I'm saying is, is that this, this renewal business, God's spirit renewing us, is not just the stuff of a future hope. There is a very real presence and strength and help and guidance that is accessible to us now, that is given to us now. We can know that, and our lives can be changed in meaningful and substantial ways. Paul writes in verse 26, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Every addict at the end of themselves and surrendering to their higher power knows what I'm talking about. Every broken sinner who's known that comforting rush of grace and peace and this, this reassurance, this hope that dawns in our hearts. You know what I'm talking about. The love of God is not just waiting for us at the end of things in Shetland. The snowplow has arrived. God is with us by his spirit. And there is a strength beyond what we've got. Help is at hand. Just to encourage you, we had a big church day out recently. I brought a friend along, um, quite a new friend. She's not acquainted with the church, not used to hanging out in church community. She's not a Christian. And she came along to the, the big all-day stay out. Many of us would have been there in that field. We had the tents and the barbecue and sports going. I didn't do a very good job of looking after my friend. I sort of introduced her to a couple of people and then went off and played football and frisbee for most of the day, as I'm prone to doing. And, and, um, but I remembered to pick her up and we, we drove home. And, and, then, and then Laura, my wife, asked her, uh, how, how was the... How did you find, did you have fun? Did you have, enjoy the, the, the fun day? And, and our friend said, was suddenly moved and was moved to tears as she was just saying, so many good people, so many good people. And we're all a mixed bag and we've all got a long way to go. But in, in meaningful and substantial ways, the Spirit of God is renewing our lives, setting us free restoring a vocation to reflect something of God's beauty in this world and with us every mile of the way. Shall we stand?